0: I actually don't like tea that much
1: But you're British, you have yeah. to
0: I'm a traitor to my nation, I also don't watch football that much and That's right, I said football, not soccer
2: Hey everybody and welcome to episode 33 of the I Freak Show This week on our panel we have
3: James Zuber Hello from Minneapolis Ben
2: Sherman Andrew Madsen Hi from Salt Lake City Pete Hodgson Hello from my pajamas. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.TV with a real quick announcement. If you're interested in learning Ruby on Rails, my Rails Ramp-Up course, if you buy it by the beginning of the year, actually I'll give you a few days, if you buy it by January 4th, you get 30% off. You can get that at Rails Ramp-Up. We also have a special guest and that's Kevin Harwood.
4: Hey guys from Austin, Texas.
2: Is it snowing in Austin?
4: It's actually 79 degrees right now. I think the high gets up to 85 today, so uh, it's a nice day here in Austin.
3: Uh-huh. That sounds nice. Not bad. So you're an Auburn guy?
4: I am. It was a, a pretty good weekend. Me and Tim Cook uh, had a lot to cheer for on Saturday.
3: <laughs> I, I can sense the glow all the way through the internet.
4: I haven't stopped grinning since Saturday <laughs> evening.
1: <laughs> yeah, that Auburn virus really infected my timeline. Yeah, I saw really that on, the only person that I, <laughs> the only person on my timeline was tweeting anything other than football was John Syracuse, and he was talking about I don't know TVs or something.
0: I totally tune out whenever I, whatever time it is that people tweet about the sports balls. I think it's like uh, Sundays <laughs> or Mondays or something. I get quite annoyed with Twitter and I just stop using Twitter because I don't know they're they're talking about touchdowns and basket hoops or something. I don't. It's all very confusing to me.
4: I'm actually hoping Twitter releases some statistics, like they do, like the Super Bowl halftime show or something, and see if we can see an impact from from that game and and see the usage spike on Twitter.
0: Someone should do some sentiment analysis on Twitter, where they like to find out, you know, what it, that would be really cool actually to map like people's wait, isn't that happiness what? Or sadness?
1: Didn't Apple just buy a company that does that? Oh, really? Yeah, for like 200 yeah. million. What was it called? Topsy? Isn't that what they did? Top, yeah, I, yeah I think so. You're telling me I just came up with a
0: two hundred million dollar idea. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you guys my other ideas.
1: (laughs) I've heard your other ideas. It's like you know, it's it's uh, you know, Twitter sentiment uh, analysis for dogs.
0: That's right. (laughs) Get out of my brain.
1: (laughs) Okay, so uh, question of the day: Does Iowa Seven's role session obviate the need for AF networking?
4: Go. That's a great question. I guess we'll just get it started. Uh, I don't think so. Um, I think there's some features in, uh, AF networking too that, uh, NSURL session, you know, doesn't take into account for. Specifically, if you think about, uh, like the AF security policy features with, uh, SSL pinning and also, you know, from a development perspective, a lot of times you're going to target servers that, uh, you know, potentially have an invalid SSL certificate. So being able to, you know, quickly turn that on or off is, you know, a pretty valuable feature.
1: I don't think enough people know what SSL pinning is and why you should care. Can you elaborate yeah,
0: on that?
4: Yeah, that's a good question. It's actually something that I think is really important for you know mobile developers to understand um, and it's something that we can all do to help increase the security of uh, our communications within our application. A lot of people think that when they're uh, communicating with SSL that they're in the free, They're they're, they're out of danger. In reality, it's still relatively easy to introduce a man in the middle attack, even over an SSL connection. And one way to help obfuscate that is to use the technique, which is SSL pinning. And that is, uh, within your application, you're actually inspecting the certificate of the server and verifying that it is, in fact, your expected certificate that you issued for your specific server. And there's two different ways to pin on that. You can actually pin against the certificate itself. And when that certificate expires, your connection will no longer be valid. And there's a little bit softer way of doing it. And that's just pinning against the public key of the certificate itself, which is valid across multiple renewals of that specific certificate. So from a mobile perspective, that specific option makes a lot of sense. And with AF Networking too. All you have to do is include the public certificate of your server, and then set that policy on your manager class, and AF Networking will automatically enforce SSL pinning for all of your connections through that manager to your backend.
0: I've never heard of this before. So, so you you don't just say you know connect to the, to this server over SSL, but you say connect to the server over SSL, and I expect it to have this specific public key you're not just using kind of the chain of trust with a certificate authority, but you're actually saying, I expect this to only be this public key.
4: That's right, yeah. Because with tools like Charles and other HTTP debugging tools, you can actually set up a proxy and still inspect that traffic going back and forth over regular SSL connections. But once you enforce pinning, that will remove that ability from being able to inject yourself in the middle and connections will no longer be valid and data won't be going back and forth at that point.
1: Yeah. Uh, To answer your question, Pete, the issue of trust is kind of out the window because it's like the networking stack. It, it will still honor the the trusted certificate chain. So uh, if you just have an untrusted certificate, it will fail. But okay. uh, you can't guarantee that the person holding the device didn't just alter their certificates that they trust, which is the case for the man in the middle attack. You would use with Charles. Charles has a certificate you can install and trust, and then the iPhone will gladly say, "Yep, that's a valid certificate. I trust it." Yep. Uh, but since you don't own that end of the Conversation, You can't trust any of it, so trust sort of breaks down there.
4: Huh. Yeah, we've actually been doing a lot of work here at Mutual Mobile with uh, some financial institutions, and uh, this is, uh, without a doubt, a required medium that we enforce in all of our network communications for especially sensitive data like that.
0: So how does that work? Is there a way to kind of upgrade? I don't know. I'm, t- I'm, t- I'm thinking, like, if you needed to change that sir, at any point, then... That would be a, a breaking change for all the installed applications, right?
4: Yeah, that's right. So if you're pinning against a certificate, a certificate itself, at some point that certificate's going to expire. And so from an iOS application for something that's deployed to a device, it doesn't make a lot of sense to use that method because the day will come when that certificate will expire. With AF Networking 2.0, it's actually now easier to provide certificates at runtime. So it is possible to potentially have that, have the app actually request a certificate, you know, at some point in the future, if you needed to make that change. There would be a way for you to code for that uh, scenario and handle it if that was a requirement you wanted to be able to use. That's actually revise. a really cool idea.
0: But then, of course, you're opening yourself up to the risk that someone sneaks in. That's and- right. Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. But if you do so can one you-
4: on,
1: <laughs> one on one side and then you just change your URL and have a different certificate, I think you could make a switch over live. And handle that for a while. But you would have to guarantee that at some point the rest of your clients upgraded to the latest version of your app uh, so that you could eventually you know, drop the old certificate.
0: Yeah, that's right. Can you have multiple certificates that you're pinned to so that you can kind of make the change gradually over time and kind of wait for everyone to get up to speed with the new certificate and then deprecate the old one?
4: Definitely. So the AF security policy class in AF2.0 allows you to take in an array of certificates to pin against. Um, so you can do as many as you'd like for each specific manager class. Neat.
1: Okay. So that was a long uh sort of sidebar on SSL pinning. You were <laughs> you were you had a list of things <laughs> I think you're going through.
4: Yeah, so uh you know reachability, um there's a lot of different classes out there that uh you know try to implement reachability. Um and with AF2.0 that's actually been broken out into a sub-module um that makes it you know super easy to use reachability. The fun thing about reachability that a lot of people don't quite understand is that reachability doesn't guarantee you can reach a server. It guarantees that you can't. So you can't make the assumption that if something is reachable, it will get there. You can't do that. So you can't just assume that if it's reachable, I don't need to worry about error conditions or you know network links going down or things like that. It simply guarantees that it has determined it cannot get to the server. So you can use it as kind of a preemptive strike from a UI perspective to let the user know something's not going to make it out. You still need to be able to handle an asynchronous call that may take a little bit of time and eventually fail from a reachability standpoint. What else? I think it also makes it pretty easy to migrate as you support iOS 6 to iOS 7 with AF Networking 2.0. The new manager classes, if you're not familiar with the AF2 architecture, there's a manager class that's similar to the AF1, AFHTTP client that uses the NSURL Connection API. And then there's a new manager client that uses the NSURL Session API. And those interfaces are very, very similar. So from a coding perspective, if you do it right, you could actually kind of support iOS 6 and iOS 7 for now. Eventually, when you drop iOS 6 support, you're not going to have a huge burden in migrating that code over to iOS 7 only, uh, which I think is a big win. And the other thing to point out is that Although NSURL Session is now available in iOS 7, NSURL Connection has not officially been deprecated yet. Obviously, the writing's on the wall, you know, where they're going from a networking API perspective. But it's still a fully supported class and set of classes within the API. And the AF networking code that's built around NSURL Connection is obviously pretty mature at this point. And still a very solid option for some, you know, just some basic REST APIs that you need to interface with.
3: So is AF Networking 2.0 still based off NSURL connection?
4: So there are parts of the API that are, and it's actually split between NSURL session and NSURL connection. I'm going to say URL a lot today, by the way. We have the AF HTTP request operation manager, which is the manager for the NSURL connection based APIs. And that still leverages a similar pattern to afnetworking.1, which had your afhttp request operation as kind of your base class for um, creating a uh, network request. And then we have afhttp session manager, which is um, the class that's now based on the uh, URL session APIs. And like I said, both of those manager classes actually share a pretty similar interface. So it makes it pretty easy to try to switch between the two as you determine, you know, what OS version you need to support.
1: Yeah, I particularly like the design of the uh, serializers, extracting that away so that you can have one, you know, the uh, operation itself in the old way of doing things, uh, you would have like a JSON request operation or an XML request operation. Now you just have the built-in classes, right? Uh, NSURoll session data task. And w- what gives that data task to you is your manager and your manager has a request and a response serializer. So it's just kind of easy to swap those in and out. Yeah, that's right. The design is just way, way much improved with that. Way much? I don't know.
4: (laughs) Very much improved. (laughs) In AF networking 1.0, you know, serialization was spread across all the different request operation classes. You had your JSON operation, like you said, and it was kind of all overwritten and hidden within the set completion block with success failure method on each of those individual subclasses. And now in 2.0, the serialization has, you know, been compartmentalized into a module that's way more testable. And uh, just you know, like you said, way more elegant to use for from a serialization standpoint. So uh, one thing that sort of trips
1: me up a little bit is uh, you have I'm trying to find a a, line, a block of code I could sort of uh, skim, but you have a, a session manager and you tell the session manager to you know uh, do a get uh, and this is an HTTP session manager, right? Do a get to some URL and you get a two callbacks, you get the success callback and the completion callback, and the arguments to those methods are the URL request itself, and the response object, right? So if you're using a serializer, it will be already parsed JSON content, correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so very often I have to check the status code of a response to see what happened or to log it or whatever. And so I'm having to cast the URL or URL response object to an HTTP URL response. You know what what I'm referring to? And I feel like that should be the responsibility of an HTTP session manager.
4: Yeah. You, didn't you actually create an issue on GitHub about this? I think uh, I, I remember, I think I, I remember reading this uh, directly was, from you.
1: It was early on. Actually, the, the one you're referring to is the, uh, in the failure case. I need to, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I misspoke a little bit. So when you do a request, you, your success callback gives you the task itself. And from That's the right. task, you can get the request and the response. Yep. And the, and the response, you have to cast that to an HTTP URL response. That's in right. order to get a status code from it, the pull request that I said uh, that I mentioned is that there was no way to get the body of the response.
4: Um, yes, that's right. Um, so and in the
1: failure case, so like um, if my API does this, uh, I return a 400 with some errors of why it was a bad request, or maybe a 422 with some validation errors, and those happen; those are returned in the body of the of the response. And right now, it's kind of a sort of a roundabout way that you can get the response for a uh, an error case. Um, without just sort of bypassing the handy get-put-post-delete methods that uh, HTTP session manager gives you.
4: I think that is a tricky corner case that probably needs a little more attention. And I know that that's, uh, I think the NSURL session task, the only way you can actually get the data is from the callback block. There's no property for it. And that's one thing I don't like too much about NSURL session task. I feel like that API still needs a little bit of work from an ease of use standpoint. I know I sat down with some of the Apple engineers at WWDC and uh kind of gave them kind of real world use case feedback like that. They hadn't quite considered and I was hoping they would make more changes to the API than they did between uh the first release and and uh, obviously when it uh, shipped as a GM. But uh that is one of those corner cases that I think uh we're going to have to come up with a little bit better solution for going forward to make that easier than the API and foundation itself.
1: Yeah, so they the roundabout way that I mentioned that you can get the response, if you still want to use this method of uh, get, put, post, and delete. I think Matt's uh, response was kind of like, well, you know, we don't need to like jump through hoops and whatever to make you use these methods. Like, if they don't fit your scenario, then you can use NSURL session data task yourself right. and use uh, data task with, what is it, path, params, whatever. The, the way, you know, instead of just uh, saying get put, post, or delete. However, if you do want to use those, the error has a uh, user info dictionary, which has a whole bunch of information in there. And I had, I just kind of, you know, as a true programmer, I tend to ignore errors. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> happy path you only. just like, yeah, if you just dive into this error user info dictionary, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there, including the, uh, the response. So, you know, if you, if you need to get access to it, you can. It's just not obvious.
4: Makes sense. So I'm curious, who all on the show is using AF networking right now? I mean, I've gone through the
1: 2.0 stuff and I've done a bunch of demos and stuff, but we have uh, still some apps that are supporting iOS 6, and yep. so all of those are still on the 1.x branch of AF networking. So all of the new stuff, as soon as we get our first iOS 7 only app, we'll use AF. So you I have, know.
4: so you haven't thought about trying to migrate to the iOS 6 version of uh, AF? I mean. What's
1: the value? I mean, it, it works really well right now. Yeah. And we haven't that touched sense. that code in months. So, I mean, I, I'm kind of reluctant to just be upgrade happy. Um, yeah. The, I, the one, I did do the this one, on the, on a side project of mine and it was really painful <laughs> and somewhat unnecessary. But then I decided I'm just going to ditch iOS 6 support because I've waited so long to release this thing that uh, I don't need to support iOS 6 anyway. So uh, I'm going to start over and start with the new 2.0 stuff. I, I do like it. However, I do think that the sort of stock way isn't quite as painful as it used to be, which is good.
0: That is definitely a true statement. I'm kind of in the same boat where I've got old 1.0 or 1.x stuff, and I'm kind of tempted to upgrade it, actually, just because it's a tiny little app. It makes, like, one network call, so I'm hoping it wouldn't be too painful to upgrade, and it might be interesting just to... That serializer stuff sounds interesting to me, not having to, to kind of... Uh, mingle that stuff with with the rest of the request response stuff sounds like it might be worth
4: playing with it yeah if you've got a really big app that uh, you know is still supporting iOS 6 and you've got af you know 1.x code in there that's working really well for you you know like ben was saying there's there may not be a great reason to upgrade right now simply because uh, you know af 133 is a pretty solid release and at that point you know very mature and definitely api breaking changes to try to migrate to the af20 library so unless you need specifically some of the, you know, iOS 7 APIs, like background session task or, you know, background uploads background downloads, things like that, you know, if your networking portion of your code is working great, that's still built on top of NSURL NS connection, which, like I said, is not deprecated in any way officially from Apple yet. So you've still got plenty of life, you know, with that code.
0: So you just mentioned there uh, some of the iOS 7 stuff, like the background updating. Does AF Networking have specific, well what, what specific support do you need is involved there?
4: Yeah, so um, the AF Manager that's built on top of NSURL Session um, does have some API to help support the background and download and upload capabilities for NSURL Session. There's still some kind of advanced corner cases when you kind of dig into it, um, because I know I think Apple takes that code and then runs it on a different process and then you've got to handle a callback to you know try to reconnect your pipes to uh get that data back. So I would definitely recommend watching the WWDC video um this year on where they introduced NSURL session to get some more details of that part of the API. Uh it is probably one of the more advanced corners of just trying to use NSURL session in general.
0: That's actually an appropriate thing for me because so my little side project app is just like a a timetable app that tells you when when trains are leaving. And, uh, and it gets like a live feed of, you know, upcoming departures of trains and stations and doing that in the background with iOS 7 would actually be really nice because otherwise every time you look at it, you, you immediately have to refresh it, which is just annoying. The actual, like I said, the actual networking thing is like literally a single call to, to download this chunk of JSON. Yeah. I think that would so, certainly
4: be worth trying to leverage some of the iOS 7 features, especially the, the, uh, remote background fetch. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, retrieving that data, you know, right before the user, uh, the user opens the app. I've seemed to have quite a bit of luck with the OS. They say that the OS is essentially monitoring when users are opening and closing their apps and uh, starts to try to make a guess at when the user is probably going to open that app again and, you know, give you some time before that time actually occurs to fetch some data and have your UI just ready to display um, when the user opens the app. I think that's a really great experience.
1: Yeah, and it works so well that you don't even notice it's happening. It just... Yeah, your phone feels faster.
4: Yeah, yeah. I've definitely nice. noticed that uh, with like my Twitter client. It seems to know, uh, every, like every morning when I uh, you know wake up, I normally roll over and start reading a few of my tweets. And I open the app, and it's you know it's already been updated um, because I you know it's part of my morning routine. Um, so that, I think that's a really cool feature.
3: It knows ten minutes after a meeting, you go right to Twitter, right?
2: <laughs> Maybe ten minutes before the meeting's over. That's right. <laughs> well, then it should be smart enough to complain for you.
0: <laughs> oh that meeting.
2: <laughs> My
0: boss, never mind. So I wonder if so this hum- would uh, actually get smart enough to since I commute the same time pretty much every day. I wonder if it would start like prefetching. I'd be interested oh, to, yeah. to, to actually Yeah, I, I you think, can,
1: I think absolutely it would. I mean, you have to be a good citizen the, in the callback it you have to give the result of your fetch operation and if you never have any new data, well they're going to throttle you back and stop calling. Your, your callback method so often, and uh, the same if you error out. But yeah, I mean, if you request, yeah, just do it as often as possible, or whatever is appropriate for your app, I don't know.
0: But, uh, I think what I'm going to start doing is, uh, well, maybe this is a little bit too much work, but <clears throat> I'm actually quite tempted now to actually log when the, the OS does that, and kind of send it up to a server somewhere, and then uh, graph it out and see whether whether there's like a noticeable... Kind of like peaks where it, it does it more in the morning and the afternoon when I'm getting ready to, to do my commute. That'd be interesting too. Yeah, that to would see. be
4: a pretty cool analytical track. I think.
0: Has anyone done that? I'm am kind of imagine someone on the internet somewhere has has like tried to reverse engineer this algorithm. I'm sure, it's out there. <laughs> Maybe a listener can uh, email the show and let us know. Yeah. So, how
1: many uh, contributors do you have for AF Networking?
4: Hmm, that's a good question. I know there's probably a core group of guys that's, you know, obviously Matt is the godfather, um, of, uh, AF networking. There's probably a group of maybe eight to nine guys that are pretty actively involved in the issues on GitHub and, uh, you know, contributing back to the code base. I think there's been over a hundred that have committed at some point. Um, I believe it, but I don't know the actual number. I think GitHub has a chart for that, but, uh. Yeah. There's probably eight or nine guys that that you see pretty active in the issues and, and trying to stay on top of it and, and
0: keep the library moving forward. So AF networking must be one of the most, if not the most, kind of popular or well-used open source Objective-C things out there at this point, I would guess.
4: Yeah, it is actually the most starred um, Objective-C repository on GitHub, and it finally crossed into the number one spot actually during WWDC of this past year and they finally got past the 320 library on GitHub. Uh, that was from a Facebook. glorious moment. It was a great day to finally <laughs> unseat the 320 library as the most popular objective C repository. Those things need like a, a shelf life.
1: Like a star should fade away after like 6 months or a year or something cuz like you know people learn yeah. <laughs> I would wager that most of the people who had started that repo a year later or two years later would probably unstart if they had the opportunity to.
4: Yeah, I think actually about 5 months ago is when Facebook finally updated the landing page for 320 of the repository to Send say stop using. yeah, to say seriously <laughs> don't use this anymore. This we haven't touched this in 2 yeah. years. Yeah, and it was like you said it was kind of misleading because people would come, you know, kind of new to the community Check out the most starred repositories on GitHub and see, you know, 320 at the top, um, even though it, you know, hadn't been updated in over two years. You know, Chuck, do you know what we're talking about?
2: Yeah, I know what you're talking about as far as starring repositories. No, no, no,
1: the 320 library. I just figured this ha- might be have a, no idea. an opportunity because <laughs> people don't know what this is.
2: No uh, idea. What is the 320 okay. library?
4: So, um, back in the early days of the iOS community, Facebook released what they called the 320 library. Which was a collection of, uh, objects and UI controls and various things that were found in some of the early versions of the Facebook app that were very useful back when the API, um, was still changing rapidly from release to release. But over time, Apple kind of, uh, you know, brought in a, a lot of those things natively into the API or some of the controls just kind of lost their initial glow. And it got to the point where, you know, if you included 320 in a, maybe an in, in iOS 4 project, you had, you know, 450 warnings or something like that in your project, and it's, you know, only grown since yeah. then. And, um, you, couldn't,
1: and so, you couldn't just grab one thing. It was like, yeah. if you grab one thing, then you needed these other four things, and then eventually yeah. it just spiders out, and you need the whole library, yeah. and it's just yeah. a huge library.
4: Yeah. There's a lot of developers with some battle scars who've had to remove a 320 dependency from an old application. And it's sometimes not an easy task at all, uh, and takes a long time to remove all of the tentacles that it entrenches into your app. There is a, a large uh, app.
1: It's like a company who develops an app, sort of near Houston, and uh, they were giving a talk at our local meetup group, and uh, they admitted that they still had uh, some some old 320 code, and they're like, we're just waiting for the opportunity to go in and rip it out, but it's it's a daunting effort.
2: Yeah, well, if it works okay in you know iOS six, if your app is working there, you you know you're fine until you need to be on iOS seven, which I guess you do now, so
1: yeah, yeah and actually I, I think it's like a number of things were deprecated a long time ago, and uh, if nobody's maintaining that library, there are probably some forks or people who are still like updating those things. But like you're saying, like warnings all over the place, and there's just bad coding practices too, like uh for instance, yep. uh just setting aside for the fact that I think the design is really awful. It's like a design that it has its sort of tentacles in the rest of your application. It's really tough to decouple yourself from it because it wants you to use its protocols everywhere. Uh, and so that makes it really hard for you to say, okay, well, my app isn't designed this way, so I have to change the way my app is designed to fit into that model. Like to do like a uh, photo browser where the photos are URLs. That is ridiculously easy nowadays, especially with yep. AF Networking's image view category. Uh, you slap a page view controller on it. I mean, it's, it's really easy to do, but if you have the AF Networking code, you're stuck with like their solution. But the bad coding practices I refer to are like when you have category methods, category methods are, are like sort of like reopening the class and defining a method right then and there. So if you have like a I don't know, like a is square property on a view, and it returns true if uh, the frames width equals the frames height, right? I don't know how useful that would be, but we could add that to every UI view just by adding a category method. But the problem is, is that if I say is square, and Apple decides that that's useful, and they decide to add that to UIView, then my app that's sitting on your phone hasn't been updated in many years has no chance to figure out um, what to do in that scenario like in this scenario the implementation is obvious so my implementation is probably their implementation but we don't want those things to collide and i think the behavior is sort of undefined of which symbol it will hit first if there's a collision on category methods or maybe it'll just crash i'm not sure uh So, like, when you're dealing with category methods, you need to be really careful to try and choose ones that are very unlikely that Apple would ever replicate. And if you think there's any chance of that ever, then you should prefix it with, like, you know, AF underscore or, you know, in our case, CH underscore or whatever to differentiate. Like, we have uh some simple, like, array, like, functional array additions, like you would have in Ruby, like, map and select and things like that. Uh But those are very likely at some point to be added to... NSRA. I, I don't see why they couldn't be. And so our additions are chmap and chselect because I don't want them to ever conflict. You
4: know. That was actually a problem AF Networking 1.0 had with its image view category names um, and because uh, the library was built kind of in an all or nothing fashion, there were some other image view uh, libraries out there that had the same method names in their categories and you, I think it actually won't even compile uh, if you include both of those in your project and so people would have to go manually edit its source to try to resolve those conflicts so that both of those things could be loaded at the same time. That's actually a lesson learned for AF2O. Matt's kind of uh, split out the image view category into its own specific module uh, so that if you need to use image functionality from another library, you don't have to include the AF image code at all, and you can get it from somewhere else to help try to solve that problem. I know it also comes down to people's preference in terms of their method naming a lot of people see the see a prefix and kind of get the you know makes them feel bad when they're reading it out loud. So uh, yeah. it's kind of like a coding style that people sometimes don't really prefer, uh, just from a from a readability standpoint.
1: Yeah, blocks Kit is another one that blocks yeah. Kit has all those uh, additions on lots of classes and they're so handy that I could see Apple just taking half of those and putting them in there at some point, and then you'd really be stuck.
3: Yep,
0: I've done that same thing with the the method. Uh, prefixes for, for my open source thing because it's like we add like a touch method to every view in the, well, to to UI view as a category. And at some point, if someone adds touch or some other person's doing something like that, it's just going to, everything's going to break in horrible ways. But it does look ugly.
5: One trick that I've used is instead of using a prefix, use a suffix. And, well, the big advantage is that code completion is still easy because you don't need to type the prefix. Uh, you just type what you think the method is, and, and the suffix option is comes up first. But if there's a similarly named method, that will be in the list, too.
0: I like to use infix. Just put it right in the middle there. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Center I, of make attention. My method
3: names, I make my method names so inane that no one would ever copy them, so they'd never even be confused. So, Not the best approach, but hey, why not?
1: Yeah, like old-style, you know, see, like Hungarian notation, we had, you know, LPZ, str, you know, for a long pointer to a
0: nil-terminated string. <laughs> you guys remember I, that? I, no? s- yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh yeah. I actually seen... did that the other day. I was writing some C++ code and I put a little P in front of my uh, variable name so I knew it was a pointer. Also, how would you know? <laughs>
3: <laughs> we didn't have code And then I
0: deleted it because I realized it was silly. <laughs> so I wanted to ask a little bit about what it's like to, to be running a, or be involved in a, a big iOS or Objective-C open source library because it's not really. It feels like the iOS community isn't quite as embracing of open source as, as some other communities. Not maybe that's not that's not a very fair thing to say. Maybe just we're earlier in that kind of um, adoption cycle of using things other than what Apple gives us. Have uh, you noticed anything interesting with that, with with AF Networking, like how people contribute code, or how you how you make sure that the quality of contributions is good, or how how do you guys manage releases? What how does that work in the world of iOS?
4: I think I said I called Matt earlier, the Godfather of uh, AF Networking. Um, he really does just a phenomenal job of managing all of his open source libraries, AF Networking included, um, and he is the gatekeeper for all things AF Networking. Like I said we've got uh, you know a group of devs uh that spend a lot of time helping out and chipping in and uh you know working on feature development um but at the end of the day Matt is definitely the guy who drives this thing forward makes uh, the final call on what makes it in what makes it out um I've actually learned a lot from him on how to manage an open source library just by being a contributor to this one um he really just does I can't say enough good things about how he manages his open source contributions and if you are an iOS developer and you are not following Matt on GitHub or on Twitter, you are missing out on things that will make your life easier. It's, I, I don't know if this guy sleeps, um, within the amount of things he puts out into the open source community. But I guess how I got involved was, uh, here at Mutual Mobile, we actually do try to leverage a lot of open source software because, uh, if things, you know, have already been created and, and we can leverage a wheel that's already been made, uh, that gives us more time to potentially spend on other things. And so, uh, for a long time, we actually used the old ASI library, which was pretty much the de facto networking library outside of NSURL Connection back in the iOS 3, iOS 4 days. And about two years ago, the, the maintainers of that library had made a decision that the library had become too bloated, too big. Um, there were too many corner cases with threading that uh, uh, were just causing too many problems. And they essentially threw their hands up and said, "This library is deprecated. Go find something else and don't use it anymore." Um, and so at that time, I kind of set out to, um, you know, figure out what we wanted to do for all of our projects that we had. Um, did we want to write our own? Did we want to try to leverage something else out there? And uh, you know, came across uh, AF Networking in a much younger state than it is now, and just got involved uh, and started, uh, you know, contributing features that were valuable to us across all of our different projects and have stayed involved uh, ever since. And it's definitely a big win to have, you know, a library of this magnitude um, that's a critical dependency for so many projects to have a good understanding of what's going on in it. And so I've kind of kept carrying that torch here at Mutual Mobile for us.
3: So what's the process of writing a new feature for AF networking and, and submitting it to the godfather?
4: <laughs> it's actually pretty simple. You uh, you write the feature and you submit a pull request and reviews and comments will commence you definitely learn Matt's style over time. You learn what he likes, you learn what he doesn't like, and so you start trying to write features um, that, you know, kind of cater to how you think he'll uh, respond and, and the likelihood of him taking that feature and obviously, you know, iterate after that. The very first pull request I think I ever did for AF networking was to type def the success and failure blocks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I and the same uh, I did yeah, I, I think that might be everyone's first contribution. They have never. I think I've seen that probably pop up twenty times now in the issues. Um, you know, but Matt has a very strong stance that from an API readability perspective, um, it makes way more sense to list out those parameters in the interface rather than having a, a type def block that you have to go somewhere else to reference to understand what's being passed in there. Which you know makes a lot of sense to me when he explains it that way. Uh, so it's things you pick up on like that that just make you a better developer in general to create you know reusable. You know, libraries, uh, that can, you know, be used in a lot of different projects.
3: How many pull requests did it take before you got the first one accepted?
4: (laughs) That's a good question. I actually don't know. It probably, probably the third or fourth one I did was probably the first one that actually made it, but, uh, that was two years ago. I don't want to try to deter anybody. You can certainly get in with your first one if you've got a good bug fix, a good test, a good feature, you know, that AF networking needs it. So by all means, I, I hope everyone gets involved and, you know, at least throws out an idea that they find useful that potentially is useful to the rest of the community.
2: I'll bet that he, like all other open source maintainers,
4: loves getting the pull requests that are,
2: you know, several hundred or a thousand lines of code. Those just make yeah, his that's day, a, I'm sure.
4: Yeah, that, that's not the best way to submit a feature. If you've got yeah, a thousand I'm, line feature, uh, we yeah, probably need to figure out something of-
1: some people have mixed minds of whether or not you should open an issue first and discuss about a potential solution before committing time to actually write the code. Uh, and other people are like, I don't want to discuss it unless, you know, I'll, I'll review patches. And, and you know, speaking from my, my last pull request to if networking was uh, rejected for some of those reasons of, like, philosophically he wanted it to be a different way, which is, you know, it's totally his project. And that's fine. But I did spend, you know, an hour on that. And I, it would have been nice if I had perhaps been able to shoot back the idea between a couple of people just before doing that. And I didn't actually try that, but I'm just wondering if that's, you know, the stance that you guys take, you know, like that's, discuss something that, first and then somebody goes off and does it.
4: That's without a doubt a great idea. And that's exactly how I've, I've actually, how some of my features have been pulled in is I'll create an issue, um, and just say, Hey, I've noticed this, you know, I think that I think we could probably do this better. Any thoughts? And, you know, I'll tag a couple of the guys that I know that are pretty active in the issue list to, you know, kind of ping them to make them aware. And if, you know, it seems like it's got some traction, um, then I'll take some time and, and you know, see if I can turn it into a feature or a bug fix. The one thing I actually, this is kind of a pet peeve of mine, is that there's a GitHub command line tool that allows you to attach a pull request to a previously opened issue. And I absolutely love doing that. I hate having an issue that has a bunch of discussion and then creating a pull request for that discussion. I like having kind of that pull request in line with the discussion Um, to just kind of keep everything documented in one place. And
1: what about just knowing that this is such a widely used uh library? I mean, I don't know if we have any sense of how many applications it's used in, but I, I would wager, I guess, this in the tens of thousands, you know, just so many people using it. Yeah. Uh, it is probably, you know, you have to take some extra consideration that things you're going to do aren't going to... You know, affect somebody running on a specific architecture or running with another library or on a specific phone or, you know, any number of things that could potentially cause grief for some tiny percentage of users out there, but that adds up to a lot of people. Are, yeah, are there things uh, that you guys worry about? Like, or, you know, test more rigorously or?
4: So that was one of the big things for the 2.0 architecture, um, is that with 1.0, um, the library was written and tests were, were kind of strapped on retroactively. And obviously, whenever you build software that way, it's difficult to get, you know, a ton of coverage and, and feel good about your test case scenarios. And the AF2 architecture was actually driven to by making it very testable. So that's, that's definitely a big win, um, with the 2.0 library is there's way more tests. There's way easier to test you can have a little bit more peace of mind that a feature you're writing isn't going to break those 10,000, you know, apps that are leveraging this library because uh, you know, it is the most starred library on GitHub, so without a doubt there's a sense of responsibility of
0: trying not to break anybody. And do you guys have uh CI set up, are you using Travis or something like that?
4: Yeah, Matt's got Travis set up um and I believe they just released an XC test plugin just recently and I believe that's been migrated over and is up and running now.
0: Okay, cool.
2: Alright. Well, it sounds like something that people can definitely benefit from. So, uh, thank you and Matt and everybody else for your hard work. And, uh, let's jump in and, uh, do picks. Andrew, do you want to start us off?
5: Sure. Uh, I just have one pick today. And it's the Mac SB, Macintosh Software Business Mailing List. This is a email reflector that's been around for a long time. And it's, it's a place for people to talk about the business of independent, of being an independent software developer. It's still mostly actually Mac developers but there's there's a fair amount of discussion about ios too because most mac developers have some ios stuff that they do and uh i've learned a lot about advertising and marketing and pricing and all kinds of things by just reading this list over the years so that's my pick
2: awesome jane what are your picks
3: okay we're getting to the that time of year like who here likes christmas music okay Kind of silent, right? <laughs> really, really Christmas music. My wife's been playing it since Halloween, so. That's how oh, it goes. Man. You know, it's the time of year, you had some friends over, and someone says, oh, we should play some Christmas music. I'm like, you kind of know it's all overblown, saccharine, sentimentality. But if you say anything about it, you're the Grinch, right? So it's time to fight back. So I actually found a Christmas music album that I really like. It's by a band called Low. And I'm not sure if you guys know who they are. They've been around for a long time. You know, they tour all over the world. But they're from Duluth. It's really good. Just is, not, is, not is overblown. from Duluth a credential? It is a credential because all the hipsters in New York just want to be from Duluth. That's pretty much where Final <laughs> came from. <laughs> so, yeah, if you get your uh, nephew, your cousin that wears the skinny jeans, he'll probably like this album, too. You'll like it. So, yeah, it's, it's great to put on. Kind of a little mellow, not overblown. But it's by the band Low, and they did a Christmas album and it's really good. All right. Ben, what are your picks?
1: Okay. So, uh, we were talking a little while ago about, uh, recruiters and it reminded me of this page, awfulrecruiters.com. Sam Sophus has put this together and it's basically a list of copy and paste host names that you can either use in Gmail to just auto archive these emails, uh, or, you know, you create a rule in your, in your, uh, email client of choice and i mean if you're not going to read them anyway they might as well just go straight to archive Uh, so that is a good curated list of awful recruiters and then the next pick i have is this uh, ruby gem called backup and this is less of an application gem and more of a system gem Uh, you can install this on a server and it's got configuration for things like amazon s3 keys or whatever, Dropbox, API keys, uh, Twitter tokens, whatever. And then there are things called backup models. So you can have a backup model to backup like a specific application. And so I'm running this on a server, and it backs up a Postgres database, uh, Redis database, and log files. And it knows automatically, I can configure it to uh, gzip the compressed files, or the collected files, and then split them into chunks of 250 megs. And then upload them all to uh, S3 and then only keep the last like 20 backups, uh, which is a really cool way of handling that. It's It was pretty easy. I got it up and running in about 10 minutes or maybe 15. But uh, anyway, so really handy if you run your own servers and need to back stuff up. And then my last pick is a coffee. I tend to order a lot of coffee on the Internet because the closest good coffee shop is about 15 miles from my house. And, uh, so anyway, this, uh, one I just got from blue bottle, I order a lot from blue bottle. Actually, this one is far and away like the best one I've had there. It's called three Africans and it's about 17, I think 1750 up for a pound, but it is super, super good. Uh, so I just ordered two more pounds of this and they should be here soon. So that's why I'm drinking tea today because I'm out of coffee and those are my picks.
2: You should talk about the coffee in kilos. Then we can pretend that it's an illegal substance. And it, it, it would make Pete feel a little bit more at home. <laughs> what are you
3: talking about? I'm not addicted to drugs. No, you're oh, from wait, Britain. Sorry. Kilos. <laughs> it's okay. It's Colombian coffee, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll
0: wander to uh, Blue Bottle Coffee later and have a free Africans in your in your honor, then.
1: Yes. And, you know, you go into Blue Bottle and they have all those like siphon things. It does look like a meth lab in there. It does like <laughs> there's like, you know, bubbling, you know, chemistry sets and all that, but they're just making coffee.
0: Fun so fact, me and Ben met, we met like the buyer for blue bowl coffee randomly. in Yeah, the bar. that was
1: such a cool story. Yeah, that uh, was very, cool. yeah, we were in a bar in Berkeley and I was explaining, uh, my ex- experience of why siphon coffee was pretty awesome. And I was, I was doing an okay job at explaining it. And this guy sitting next to Pete at the bar, was like increasingly interested in our conversation to the point where he was like leaning in and really listening. And I was like, okay, whatever. He just interested in coffee. And when we were all done, he was very quiet. And at the end of it all, he was like, Hey, I'm like the, you know, director of marketing or customer experience or something at Blue Bottle. Uh and so he was like thrilled to hear my like uh (laughs) sort of overjoyed experience at Blue Bottle. So that was cool.
0: That was a pretty funny, pretty funny experience.
2: That's funny. Yeah, two programmers walk into a bar. Anyway, um <laughs>
0: Pete, what what are your picks? Uh Inspired by the awful recruiters thing and the reference of archiving things in Gmail, my first pick is going to be the mute button in Gmail. If you're on a public mailing list and people are annoying you uh, with the conversation they're having and you want them to stop talking, replying to that email is not going to help. It's just going to annoy everyone else who's sick of the email thread going on.
1: Just press and the you're mute going button. to get the auto responders. Yeah, <laughs> as as the vacation autoresponders are going to come and get you.
0: So just press the mute button. It's okay. You don't have to have the last word. You can just press the mute button. Uh, where, where my is second, the mute button? The mute button. There's a mute button in uh, in Gmail. Oh, I guess if you don't use Gmail, then you should use Gmail. But you can mute you can mute an email thread, and it will it will just stop. Uh, it'll also archive the rest of that thread for you. So it's still like there for your record, but it doesn't keep popping up into your inbox so you don't get frustrated by it, so you don't feel the need to add to the noise by replying to everyone saying, please stop talking when you're the one talking.
2: I see. So you hit the mute button, and then they all have the last word because you're done listening to them.
0: Yep. Yep, it's the uh, electronic equivalent of walking out of the room. So yeah, more people should know about that button. My second pick is a plug. I haven't plugged anything for a while, so I'm going to plug... Uh, the p two magazine, which is something that uh, someone at Fortworks kind of started doing on their own and uh, and kind of took off uh, inside of Fortworks and is now kind of a public thing so it's this little magazine for programmers talking about programming stuff and it's quite good it comes out every month or so it's an electronic magazine it's on uh, it's on github actually the reason I'm picking it is because a new episode came out or a new uh, issue of the magazine came out this morning and i was reading it on my way to work and one of the articles at the end concludes with we cut our four-hour test suite to an hour by implementing this one weird old tip <laughs> which just made me laugh because it's reference to all of those uh bizarre adverts that you get on the side of anyway whatever
3: <laughs> i'm throwing out all the tests <laughs>
0: Oh, and and you can get the P2 magazine at fortworks.github.io slash p2. There will be a link in the show notes. My last pick is a beer. Today I'm going to pick Chasing Freshies, which is a fresh hop IPA from Deschutes Brewery. And uh, if you like IPAs and you like that lovely hop aroma that uh, you get from a good IPA, then you should definitely try this one. It's lots of hoppy stuff going on, but like quite a lot of tropical fruits, I guess, in there. So kind of melons and passion fruit and stuff like that. So it's not just kind of like resiny, piney hops. It's actually, well, it tastes awesome, actually. So yeah, uh, get it while you can. Does, does
1: that violate precious. your your sort of low alcohol uh, general rule? Yeah. it sounds like
0: it does. <laughs> a little bit. It's not, it's, it's, so it's not a, it's not like a crazy big IPA. I think it's only like 6% or something. It's not high on the alcohol, but it is, I I think they do a lot of like late hop additions. So I'm not going to start another hour long podcast with me talking about brewing beer. But, um, if you add hops later on in the boil, then uh, you get more of the aroma. Um and kind of fresh taste of the hops rather than the bittering kind of flavor of the hops. So these, this is lots of fresh hops that's added late in the boil or maybe even after the boil, so you get a lot more of the kind of the, the aromas and, and kind of flavor rather than the bitterness. So there you go. There's your two-minute uh, awesome. diatribe about hops. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, I'll go ahead and jump in real quick.
2: Now, I blew all of my picks on the episode that comes out in three weeks, don't ask so I really just have one pick. I got a text while we were recording uh said future episode from my wife. And basically it is her buying me a birthday present and it's, uh, the desolation of Smaug. Um, it's the next Hobbit movie and I am thrilled. I'm excited to go. So I might have dropped a not so subtle hint that I wanted to see it in 3d IMAX. And that's what my ticket says. So nice. I I, I don't have anything else to pick cause I'm just, Excited about that. So, uh, anyway, uh, just, yeah, go see it.
4: It'll be awesome.
2: Kevin, I what got are your t- picks? Sorry. Yeah, I got
4: two, I got two I could throw in there. I'm like, um, I know,
2: I know what's supposed to come next and I can't remember.
4: Yeah. So, uh, the first one is, uh, a tool I wrote actually to help debugging with AF networking. Um, and it's called AF Harciver. There's an H in there. Um, And HTTP archiving is a format for storing requests and responses into a file to then be able to play those back later and inspect the traffic uh, that's going on within your application. Um, And you can use tools like Charles or there's even some web viewers you can just drop the file in and and view all of the traffic that's going back and forth within your application. Um, And it's a pretty useful tool to use in development to help understand and debug um, request responses that may be going on from within your application You can even, you know, if you've got clients or other people testing your app, you can enable that. And uh, if they're reporting specific problems, use that as a a log to help try to track some issues down. So that's pretty useful. That's on GitHub. Um, The other one, I was actually listening to your continuous integration episode from a couple weeks back, and I I felt like I wanted to call in and just start talking because I'm one of the CI nuts here. Uh, We actually use a tool from Atlassian called Bamboo. Um, And I know there's a lot of people that are probably familiar with JIRA as an issue tracking system. Um, Atlassian has a, a suite of other tools that help aid in, de- in development and, and their CI tool is called Bamboo. There's a lot of deep integration with JIRA um, as well as if, if you use all of their tool suite. So if you use Stash for SEM, but uh, Bamboo is definitely a great tool for uh, continuous integration as well. We're, we actually used Jenkins for a long time, which I know you guys talked about pretty in depth um, before we migrated over to use Bamboo going forward. So definitely recommend that as well.
2: Awesome. Yeah, definitely go check those out. And I highly encourage people to do CI on any project that they can. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Thanks for coming, Kevin.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. It was a good episode and I appreciate all the hard work on AF networking.
2: Well, let's wrap this up. We'll catch you all next week.